0: Kia ora, I'm Graham. Welcome to episode 6 of The Good Oil, Conversations with Aotearoa Painters. In this episode, I visit Catherine Throne at her Wanaka home, studio and garden. Catherine has only seriously committed to a painting practice in her 40s. Despite that, her work has been in high demand since self-represented sell-out shows at the All Press Gallery space in Freeman's Bay, Auckland in 2018 and 2019. Catherine holds an MFA from the Elam School of Fine Arts at the University of Auckland and a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Painting with honours from the Kendall College of Art and Design in Michigan in the United States. She is represented by Sanderson Gallery in Auckland. In this episode, you'll hear Catherine talk about accidentally finding her way to painting through interior design, a want to resurrect the flower in paintings after its demise at the hands of modernism and industrialization, our attraction to beauty and connection to nature. The anthropomorphic projections in her work, and the importance of the first layers in a painting. I started by asking Catherine about her first memories of art.
1: Uh, definitely, my grandmother. Ah. She was a um, she was an artist on a lot of fronts. But she was um, a china painter. Like a lot of ladies did that back in, I guess, probably the seventies. And she was um, she did it for her own joy, but she also taught it and she exhibited it at the Auckland Museum and stuff. And she was um, she had this. In her, in her basement, in her house, uh, she had this kiln and she had a big table where all her uh, students sat. And to me, it was like an Aladdin's cave. It was just always filled with colours and shapes and these beautiful little paint boxes. It always smelled of, um, you know, just of oil. And she had this big cupboard, which was just filled with, I don't know what, but it was always really intriguing because I was never allowed to see it in it. But it was just the whole place down there was, it was like, um, yeah, just like an Aladdin's cave of wonder.
0: So these are like first memories, you are like five or... Yeah, totally, younger probably,
1: probably. I can't actually remember when I, my first, how old I was when I first started seeing it, but she lived in that house and taught all the way through my childhood. She taught pretty much until she died when she was 92. So it would have been over a long period of time. And um, she, she actually, she painted flowers and she had a beautiful garden. And I didn't sort of connect anything, these things until, you know, of course, much later on I think about her a lot now, but... I guess I always thought it was a. I felt very enriched and very um, well privileged and excited to be in this place, but it was obviously a place that brought me great joy to be in. Right. I was never allowed to do anything or touch anything. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah, that that's quite a great starting point. Yeah,
1: it was. It was. Um, it was really lovely. She was quite a. Uh, determined, she lived by herself for a very long time, she was very determined, she was very um, sort of stoic in her, you know, traditions, tea time, and lots of beautiful rituals, and I think, um, you know, vases, always vases in the house full of flowers, just even, I remember the the shelves on the wall with all of the vases, always to was everywhere, she loved beauty, I guess you'd say, and I probably... Picked up on
0: that yeah so it's hard to, to not think there might be at least some latent influence absolutely wow, yeah right. <laughs> so, so I mean, do, you, do you remember when you first picked up whatever material and started playing
1: oh it, just, it would have been through school I never considered myself an artist I was just doing the rudimentary you know necessities at school It oh, was particularly yeah, primary school as we school was never particularly good at it but probably really enjoyed it and I did uh, I did take art uh, through my um, through what was then school C, and didn't enjoy it, didn't, you know, didn't, didn't enjoy the rigours of what you had to do. <laughs> uh, and then sixth form, I started it, but I got cleared fever and I missed four months of school. Oh. Had to drop a class, and obviously art was the easy thing to drop. Oh. So, you know, you can't, can't photocopy a portfolio and learn <laughs> at the end. So that was the end of that, and that was even my art. So it was sort of something I dipped my toe into, but it never went any further. So because so I kind later. of
0: stopped at high school for a long yeah. period of time. yes. Yeah, because, because you didn't re- like return to studying until late, late 20s, and oh, 30s. Oh, it was
1: my early 30s,
0: yeah. Yeah, so, so you started the me fame while you were in the U.S.? I started my,
1: I went right back to the beginning. I was of bachelor, bachelor of Fine Arts, yeah. And that was, only came around in a roundabout way. It was actually interior design that I went to study. And I only got into the art side of it because I had to do these art foundation classes they were a compulsory part of interior design. It was a traditional fine art school uh, that happened to do interior design, industrial design, lots of really fantastic design classes, courses as well. Um, but you had to these, all these, these um, art history classes, um, 2D design, 3D design, sculpture, all sorts of... Um, colour theory classes, a really hugely solid foundation.
0: But you didn't realise while doing that that you were on a path to painting? No,
1: it was just a mandatory path that you had to, or boxes you had to tick before you could progress to the next stage of your Design, interior design degree, but but at some point you must have. I did, I did. We were on the first floor, and there seemed to be a lot more fun. Up on the sixth floor, I used to go up there on my lunch breaks, <laughs> my you know, my breaks in between classes, and just like they always, they did such a fantastic job of um, displaying student artwork all through the halls, and um, and it was just I just loved going up and looking at what was happening.
0: We, we should clarify. I should. Well, I should clarify here. This was in the in the U.S. in Michigan, right? Yes, so, yeah, so yeah. How, how did you find yourself in Michigan and the? Um,
1: my husband got relocated with his job, and I couldn't work because I didn't have a visa. He did. I just been on a spouse's visa, and I couldn't work, so I was just um, we we bought a house up there, which was I was doing up, and then I thought it would be really good to know a bit more about interior design, so I'm doing up this big old house, and that's why I literally went to to college. It started off being a couple of night classes, and then it grew into a proper interior design degree because I really enjoyed it. So. That's how I got into it.
0: But spending more and more time with a paintbrush and a canvas?
1: Well, it came to I, I spent as much time, we had electives, and I could take as you could do any kind of elective you wanted to across all of the, um, the degrees that they offered. So there was a huge variation, and I just kept pe- pe- picking painting electives. And, uh, and then it got to the point after I'd been there, I, you know, I think I was two years into the degree, and I already had a, a degree from a previous qualification. So that was actually quite a long way, and, you know, that gave me a lot of classes. So it was quite a long way invested in interior design. And then I decided, i got to do it. I've just got to do it. My husband nearly had a heart attack, but...
0: <laughs> you know, was there an identifiable tipping point, you know, where you said to yourself, hell, I just, I just want to keep painting all the time? Um,
1: I think it was. I think it was more just like, um, if I'm going to do it, I have to do it now, because no. I'm so thr- far through this degree. And if I don't do it now, I will never know.
0: Hmm. Okay, so finished degree in, in the States then returned? Yeah, so,
1: no, so I finished my Bachelor of Fine Arts and just had, I got a, um, a merit scholarship my last year. It just was going really well. You know, I just, I loved it. Everything was, everything was great about it. I had amazing professors, I had a wonderful relationship with them. And um, they encouraged me to go on and do my masters, and I got the scholarship to continue on to my masters. So I thought, why not? Be um, you know, it's such a fantastic opportunity. Um, so I did, and I got. Uh, I only actually got six months into that because my husband got a job back in New Zealand, right. and so we moved back to New Zealand. But so you I started I to. the
0: masters in Michigan, yes, but then returned to England?
1: Yes, so then I um, tried to just transfer what I had done back to um, New Zealand, and. Um, just hadn't been to school in New Zealand for a very long time and thought, where do I go, what do I do? Well, Elam's obviously the obvious choice, and um, they said, I think I rang up um, on about the 15th of February and classes were starting on about the 20th or something. It was pretty crazy. (laughs) So um, I just jumped at that opportunity and got on with it. Bachelor of Fine Arts complete? Mm-hmm encouraged,
0: obviously, into master's. Mm-hmm. Did you have a sense of, you know, unfinished business, which is what, you know, a driving motivation into doing the master's? Or um, was there something else you wanted to investigate?
1: It was, I think it was, um, I mean, as I say, I had this great relationship with the professors that said, um, you know, you, it would be really wise for your career if you did a master's. But the other really cool thing that I could see, we were in studios, like our studio spaces, where we had the master's students all in them and um, I just saw the kind of work that they were doing and I talked to them and it was exciting. It was really, really exciting seeing incredible artwork. And I think I just thought, I want to do that. Um, I could do that if I did this, so why wouldn't I? Um, It was just a, it was an incredibly exciting, invigorating, um, and yeah, it was just a, a place of opportunity, it's, it's kind of hard to describe it, it, the, the event without explaining like the town, it was a um, the town itself was a, it became a real artist town and it went, it's part of, it, it's on that um, automotive um, area of uh, Rust belt, almost? Absolutely rust belt, yeah. Mm. That massive um, depression after the automotive industry collapsed. And mm. in the town, but originally before that, it was um, a mecca for furniture making. It's the place of um, Herman Miller, which did all the Eames designs. It's, you know, Cranbrook Studios, just Cranbrook University, where the Eames was studying, just over in Detroit. A huge uh, staircase, lots and lots of incredible design mecca places are there. And these old furniture uh, industrial buildings, warehouses, um, and then the showrooms for all this beautiful furniture that was made are all throughout the town, but that collapsed, and the older industry came in on top of that, and then that that thrived, and then that collapsed. So it was basically a town of ruins, of, of great stages of its history. It's a very philanthropic city with amazing um, facilities and amenities, but... Uh, going through the stage of a rebirth basically so you've got these incredible old warehouses and they became our studios so as a you know just an artist working these incredible old studios it was itself amazing and then we would put on um the town sort of set itself up to be an art center um we would put on uh events downtown where they put on buses to take everyone around and we would put on exhibitions in these beautiful old ballrooms this derelict old building.
0: So it sounds like the was, city was really happy to foster. The
1: city was incredibly foster, incredibly keen to foster it, and we had this thing called Art Prize, which is now quite a global globally well known because it's the largest it was it was designed to be as i say philanthropic town with some very very important families it's the home of amway He was one of the guys in the Amway family he was a real art supporter and he said i'm going to make this a vehicle art prize it's um it's the largest monetary art prize in the world at the time i don't know if there's one more and the idea was he wanted to get the whole community interested in art so entries were open to anyone and everywhere could be an art Space to exhibit art so from the beautiful art museum to the local cafe so they would get out everywhere and then the idea was that everyone in the community could vote we had artists from all over the world i was there for three years of it before we moved back to new zealand and artists were coming from all over the world to exhibit To, to exhibit, absolutely for this incredible art prize so so uh, this was all you know and our art school was was a place of exhibition it was just a, there was always really exciting, engaging community events going on that you couldn't help be become an art lover just by being in the town, really. And so to be a practitioner in that environment, it felt really, you know, quite exciting and quite special. It, you know, it became a, a just a really great thing to be to connect you to the town, and to the people.
0: Yeah, great. Mm. Yeah, as I should. Mm. Yeah. So, so there must have been something in design school that informed practice.
1: What I'm really, really grateful for is that because it was um, a traditional art school, we had to do everything. Whether you liked it or not, you had to do watercolor. You had to do abstract painting, which included working with resins and um, sort of epoxies and all sorts of things. You had to do drawing, you had to do sculpture. Um, you had to do gouache and color theory. So you you got to try everything and you got to, you got a lot of tools in your toolbox, basically. And you really learned how to paint. We we used to for critiques. We would really rip into each other, you know, in a nice way. <laughs> yeah. it, it was incredible. It was very um, informative. You know, you you got a, you learned to get a thick skin, which I think obviously you need as an artist. But it was a great place to 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 get that thick skin. Um, and the nice thing was that if you got a critique that meant that you need just to go back and figure things out and work harder. You had this really good toolbox. To learn how to do it right and that I think was a really big difference between I didn't do my undergrad in New Zealand obviously but I think a really really big difference having so many skills such a great foundation um it's quite hard to get those in art schools in New Zealand
0: and, and flowers as a subject that um, come from the you know interior no. design piece, or um, Oh
1: well, in, an, in a roundabout way, because uh, I certainly didn't paint or do any do any flowers there. No, the only the uh, the reason that the flowers came about was because um, obviously I had this having. Mm done all the studying interior design, um, I still was really interested in it, even though I wasn't following it as a career path. So when I came back to New Zealand and I was doing my master's back here, and I struggled a lot, actually, to, because Elin was just the complete antithesis of everything about my art school over there. The idea was over there that you did this Bachelor of, of Fine Arts. They, you know, you really figured everything out, you thought you knew everything, you got this great toolbox and you graduated and then you went back and did your master's and then they literally said, okay, you throw everything out the window, now is your time to experiment. You've got you know, three years of your master's and you're going to just pretty much do everything that you didn't do successfully in your undergrad. Try and figure things out, get a concept, but really test yourself, play, you know, make it, um, push yourself. And when I got to Elam, they said, what are you going to pay him? Why are you doing it? How are you doing I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm here to sort of like, to make a mess my first year and um, get torn apart and ripped down and I'll figure it all out in three years time.
0: So so you mean that that at Elam there was a strong sense of like, what what are your guiding principles here? What is the work? Yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah, what are you going to do? And you you hadn't figured that out yet? No, I
1: had no intention (laughs) of figuring it out. As far as I was concerned, I wasn't supposed to be figuring that out until, you know, my very last year of my Masters. So,
0: so yeah, how did you work your way around that? Oh,
1: I had a very very, very very tough year in my first year. Mm. Uh, very, very tough year. Um, and I was um almost didn't go back for sure. It just didn't feel right in any in any way. I eventually decided, well God, I've got this far through it. I you know set out to do it. I'm going to do it. Went into my second year and I sort of explained to my professor that what how I was feeling and he was really great and he said just all oh, you know what are you sort of interested in and it came back to the interior design and um he was very much focused on the research side of it, because you have to write, uh, you know, obviously a thesis, which is a very big component of it. And I um, sort of fell back into that um, common or that, that feeling of, um, I can do this. I know this design history. I know this art history side. I know this interior design background. How can I weave that in? And that's when I studied my master's, it was basically a, a history of interior design. Um, which I actually thoroughly enjoyed researching and doing, and I ended up doing collage pretty much all year, Hardly <laughs> picked up a paintbrush.
0: Which is, which is how you ended up being led back to flowers. Does yes, it sound because like the you're flower. Hinting back
1: that? to yeah. Sorry, comes back to that, come back to that. The flower emerged as this this major icon of uh, a design motif of um, interior design throughout history. It was, you know, the most reoccurring image right from you know the first design of history, basically. I researched all the ways that, why it was important, why it was symbolic, and then its demise at the hands of modernism um, and how it was associated with decoration. And then modernism was all about demolishing um, the feminine, decoration, everything that was associated with it, nature, you know, Mother Earth, all those sorts of threatening kinds of things to to industrialisation, basically. And learning how how design changed so massively to, you know, white walls and modernism mm. and then what that meant to everyone who did who who loved beauty, who
0: so loved right. beauty. So any of those decorative features kind of stripped out. Absolutely stripped
1: out. Yeah. 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 And, and and anything that was um, you know, Oscar Wilde, anything that was to do with that beautiful, flamboyant, um, decorative uh design, um, was you know, they were just basically people tried to get rid of them.
0: So, so it sounds like the principle ended up being you wanted to bring that back I into spaces. I absolutely. It was. Bad bad. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. It was um, I realised how it was like <laughs> it almost appeared as this, um, which I guess it was in a lot of ways. It was this this idea to um, obliterate a concept that was not light, that was not seen as progressive, and to construct a whole new way to live, dress, yes. think. You know everything in society. It was industrialism. It was moving forward and um, with the man-made. And that meant getting rid of nature. That meant you know just, it was okay to destroy things. It was okay to um, you know blow black smoke in the air and to treat people really badly. To, to disconnect people with their land and. Um, their communities and all those sorts of things and there, the, there the must
0: community. be s- strong echoes of that, like living in Michigan obviously. So that, that resonates from that time in Michigan as well.
1: Um, it probably does. It's all you know, that all, I am a firm believer that everything you do is embedded in you and it all it all feeds in at some point. So yes, subconsciously it's all you you're gathering everything in through osmosis and, and it's and it's um, I think I, I definitely came out with a um as a, if I if I went in as a feminist I think I definitely came out as much more a feminist, although I'm not not sure if I did. You know, I I definitely came out thinking I'm much more connected to... Nature is important to me. I want to be invested in this argument. I want to celebrate the flower. I want to put paintings on the wall. I want painting. Because painting itself, you know, the whole whole way beauty was painted was also denigrated. And that was all, um, you know, ridiculed and...
0: So, so from a design school point of view, mm-hmm. you wanted to then, like, you know, modernism, stripped everything out, yes. laid everything bare, for yes. what a better turn of phrase.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: It, it sounds like you wanted to, you know, give the, like, bring the flower back somehow.
1: Absolutely, I think uh, from, what, from the research that I did during my uh, MFA, it, you know, revealed that we have this absolute um, DNA, you know, this, this, this DN, part of our DNA is this connection with the earth and with beauty with beauty, absolutely. You know, it formed our vision and our senses and everything's all about beauty. Um, and it's in, it's in all of us, and we can't deny that. So when you strip all of that away and you make a white wall, it's going to have an effect on you in some ways. And it's, it's going to be, what you feel is going to be suppressed. And there's only so long that you can do it before it either has detrimental impacts on you or you just have to go out and find it. And I think that's what people, you know, it's exactly what people are doing now. They're putting plants in their homes, they're building veggie gardens, they're trying to make, life beautiful again even though they've got their houses you know full of white walls so it's it's something that you just cannot deny it's part of being human that we love beauty and we love to look at flowers um we love nature it's you know how we all began where where we began so it was very much like well why why try and hide that fact why not just celebrate what You know what we are and who we are and what we are drawn to naturally, and how can I do that in a way that's contemporary and feels relevant to me?
0: Yeah, because it almost feels like with some of the work, lots of the work actually, you know, they feel like portraits in a way. Are they?
1: Um, Definitely, very much. Like I, um, you see that there's a lot of roses. There, they are a recurring theme through my work, and what I love most about. The the rose, I think, is that it's um it's incredibly beautiful. Like a lot of people say, it's the most beautiful flower there is. But it also has the most fantastic thorns on it. Um, and also, it grows in the most cultivated gardens. You know, where it's in a wonderful environment of being sheltered and protected and fed and stuff. But also, down here we've got the stony environment, incredibly hostile soil, full of you know basically glacial. Stone rubbish.
0: Again, for a quick a quick reminder for listeners, we're sitting in Catherine's studio in Wanaka. Um, so yeah, pretty inhospitable Vietful environment. Very inhospitable, freezing yeah.
1: cold, snow, huge winds, scorching yeah. hot summers, and it is a flower that just thrives in every you know environment down here, every landscape down here, no matter how hospitable. So I love that this that this thing of beauty can uh, survive, defend itself, and thrive. It can you know it can. Um, uh, spread seed and new and new plants come up so I think uh, I think I'm just kind of in complete admiration for it um, in a lot of respects and I think um, that's what tuned me on to thinking about other flowers and how they are often the places that are really wild and slightly overgrown a little bit ramshackle they tend to be a bit more beautiful to me they're a bit more alluring because they can they are natural spaces they're themselves and I think the more I time I started to in these kinds of places, I started to think about why I liked these um, flowers, all these places that they grew and how they grew together. And I saw them as like this community um, of all these different individuals that are all unique. You know, some of them were bright orange and really gaudy purple or, you know, um, little withering, quiet things that were still very beautiful, but they were shady and they were um, quite fragile, but they were protected by something else above it or... If a plant just wanted to ramble across in as the loud, rambunctious manner it could, it was basically just a community of or an order environment where the plants were just themselves, and the bee didn't care if they were loud or you know quiet or outrageously um, gregarious or terribly misbehaved or whatever. They were just doing what they do every day. And I thought, God, you know, why aren't our communities like that?
0: Yeah, because it almost sounds like there's a little you're almost applying an anthropomorphic yeah. approach to absolutely. flowers. So you are, absolutely. right?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And then I decided to think, I was just thinking, my God, if these were people, I'd want these to be my, you know, my people, these are my tribe.
0: So do you um, do, do you imagine when you're painting sometimes you think of, you know, specific individuals? <laughs> I do. You do, absolutely. right? So do are, people, there are people. I, I try to
1: think about the character. Like I Look at, you know look at a lot of visual um, references and I, you know I always remember where that if I'm looking at a photograph, where it was taken, I only ever paint you know my own work something because so i I only ever paint pictures that I know or places I know really well or um, plants I know really well or environments I know really well. Um, and so I can remember being in that and how I felt and what the plants were like in that environment, you know were they Uh, Were they stressed, or were they flourishing, or you know, were they exposed to great wind, or were they left to be sort of like massively unpruned and so wild? And how did that make you know? How did that make them hang or flourish or not flourish? I guess it's it's really it is really digging into the character of them and and seeing how they live. And
0: is that why you frame? Works the way you do, or, or like yeah. like works are quite tightly cropped, right? Yes. So you pack, you pack a lot of visual information
1: Absolutely. into yeah. a
0: into a frame. Yeah. So I'm
1: trying to give you as much of an idea about um, about these characters, right? Yeah. So as I paint them, the name comes usually quite quickly to me. Because I'm, I'm,
0: I'm, you know, cheat notes here in front of me: um, Rufler's gang crashes, family yeah. reunion, eyewitness, illicit um, gathering. But so, right? So those names do. I was going to ask about yeah, names, do. They, they yeah, come back quickly.
1: So I'm really thinking about. Um yeah, like what this character? What are, they, what are they doing? Like you know, these little daisies—they look all—they um, look all sweet and innocent, but actually, you know, it's it's almost dusk, and these daisies should have been tucked up in bed by now, but they're not. <laughs> so, oh my god! And look, it's like this—it's quite shady and dark. As this is this is like verging on an illicit gathering, totally. So, like, how are these characters? Are they like eighteen-year-olds so that should be at home by now, or are they? You know, I build up this picture in my mind, and I think that really that informs then how I paint them. I will like for that one I can I remember that one that's quite a recent painting there's a lot of quite uh, heavy palette knife in that work there's a lot of overworked areas of um you know it's just that that tension that I can en- envisage being created should we be out or shouldn't we you know this is we could get caught yeah, but go on, just you know, a little bit longer, and you know,
0: just really. So anthropomorphic really is an appropriate word to uh, apply totally. to the word.
1: Absolutely, if it's, if it's interesting. A, or a, you know, conversely, if it's a, if it's a something that looks that that does look quite beautiful, and it's more just about the light of it, then it will be treated a lot more lightly. Like you know, that painting down there, that could just stay almost as it is, and it would just be a very delicate handling of. It's more just about a conversation about light, really, falling
0: mm-hmm. on the petals. There's, there's a really nice marriage, it feels like, between, you, you know, you've just talked about loving the wild nature of flowers. The way you apply paint to a canvas is pretty, I suppose for want to be the word, wild as well. So, so there seems like a really, uh, you know, nice marriage, I guess, between the way you apply and work paint on the surface. Yes the this, this subject nature or how you're representing them. Yeah. Is, it, is that, yeah. in terms of building career, yeah. is, is well, you know, which came first? Have you always painted in quite a loose... Uh, you know, loose way.
1: Painted manner. Yes, absolutely. And I think it came from my and back to the foundations of my um, degree in drawing. And we had to do all the drawing classes before you could pick up a paintbrush. So you had to do life drawing one, life drawing two, life drawing three. You know, two two design. Done, We've done a huge amount. So then you get to you know go up through charcoal and then other sort of other methods vest- vest- of drawing. But the first time I really got to express myself was with a piece of charcoal, and you know, doing really big gestural drawings, and it just felt really good it felt really really natural so that way that I learned to draw you do that with gestures gestural drawing uh, became the way that I felt very comfortable painting so as soon as I picked up a paintbrush it was very quickly big brushes big marks uh, very loose and I think I just felt uh, very comfortable and liberated by using big yeah, big brushes and making big marks. Yeah, because it, because it does feel like
0: you you know use the full capability or full range of what you can do with oil paint. So mm-hmm. so oil paint your preferred medium, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah.
0: and why is that? Why oil over anything else?
1: Um, well, I just so to say one more thing about the, the, the drawing like it, it, when you do drawing traditionally in, a, in an art school you do these things called gesture drawings and they're all times drawings so you could do like a 30 second drawing or a 3 minute drawing or a 2 minute drawing like the longest you ever get to do is so a 5 minute drawing and the idea was to put as much information as you could in this drawing so that's 30 seconds so it was, it was very quick but it had to be very very intentional so you only laid down the marks that you absolutely had to do to express as much of what you needed to to give the painting life. And it was all about life. It didn't matter what you're drawing. It could be a bottle, or it could be a person, it could be a chair. It was about giving it expression in life. And I think I was absolutely intrigued by that idea of how little can I put on the canvas or on the paper to give the most information about what I'm telling in an expressive and lifelike, energetic kind of way. And that's something that really stuck with me all the way through, and that's very much what I do right now. Like, still now, how the
0: paint goes on the canvas. Let's, I guess, explore how paint does go on a canvas. So, so for you, like the, the technical actually, so, mm-hmm. you know, how much GSO do you apply? I'm assuming there's a layer of GSO that yep. goes. Yeah, one layer of
1: GSO. Yep. Yeah. yeah, so just, so on so just, on just one layer. Only one.
0: So oh. I around. <laughs> why, why only one? Because you want to get so into it. I, I want to crank into it. You're yeah. quite happy with a relatively rough... Um, Absolutely. Ca- canvas linen? Canvas. Yeah. So relatively happy with a rough canvas Absolutely. platform?
1: Absolutely. Yep. Ah, okay. Yeah, wow. yeah. And and then,
0: I, you know, again, I've noticed with your work that there are layers... Not just... No, not just layers of paint, mm-hmm. but the, uh, I guess, density of oil that mm. you're working with is really different. So you yes. start with quite thin yes, washes. Yes, definitely. So yeah. could you, yeah, talk us through that process?
1: Um, so I, I will map out the composition. It's always about the composition. You can have the yes. best painting in the world, but if the composition doesn't work, it's never going to work. So I take a bit of time to work out the composition just with um, gest- gestural marks. You know, back to the gesture. Those first gestural marks, and with a you know with a big brush and, and burnt sienna, and just sit with that. Yep, is that going to work? Or no, tweak that a little bit, and then I lay down. Um,
0: so, so there might only be one, like two or three, you know, main marks on a on a canvas. Yeah, probably to start. a
1: little bit more. It depends how complex the composition is, but probably on a simple painting there might only be that many. Hmm. But another one, there, there could be up to like twenty marks. Um, a much bigger painting. Yeah. Which end up being uh,
0: like stems as structure or, yeah. yeah.
1: Absolutely, okay. right. absolutely. And I guess, um, I don't really think about it, but it is there in my mind that can I, how much of those initial layers can I leave? That's a challenge to myself. Because they always say you have the most expression and the most energy in your first layers.
0: So try and let as much of those bleed through absolutely. as you can. Absolutely,
1: yep. Because That's where the essence of the painting
0: because the other thing I've noticed with your work is that you're quite happy, and it, and it looks like this in um, you know, a great reflection of working at pace. You're quite happy to let paint drip. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. especially <laughs> those thinner washes, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think um, that's the um, that's the speed that I'm working. That's the energy that I'm working with. I don't really want to stop and um, and you know and think about things too much at that stage. I really want to get in a flow and uh, get energy moving get paint up there, get shape, get light, work out where the light's coming from, work out the, there's a to comeback, that with the essence, work out where is this painting going, who are these characters that I'm going to be um, portraying. And um, once I've got that mapped out, I slow down.
0: And, and when you say slow down, applying thicker oils.
1: Yes. My paint marks slow down as in, I think a little bit more about where, you know, how that layer is going to sit on top of the layer that's underneath it. Um, the colour that I'm putting on top of each layer because back to your question of oil paint, why I use oil paint? The beautiful thing about oil paint is A, you can pull it off if you make a mistake, can't do that <laughs> with acrylic, um, but most importantly it's, it's all about the light. You've got these beautiful um, layers that you get with oil paint, especially when you're using translucent paints, and the light travels through them. And I use that a lot, I do a lot of glazing, and um, that's when you get the beautiful depth. So I I feel like oil paint, also you could really load a brush up with oil paint that I don't think you could in the same way with acrylic just because it dries too fast. Yes. You can really load it up and that suits a palette knife as well and just um, get this wonderful juxtaposition between areas of raw canvas or just those first initial burnt sienna marks and a really, really thick blob of paint.
0: Because you do end up with, for anyone that's not familiar with your work in person, you do end up with what are almost, um, and again, I'm looking around the studio at work, at what are almost, you know, little mounds of oil yeah, on the canvas.
1: totally. And some of the paintings will be really, really thick and textural, and sometimes I say overworked. Um, but that, to me, that creates this wonderful uh, tension and energy um, that you get between uh, the contrast of nothing and so much. Yeah. Or really dark and really light or totally smooth and really, really textured. I mean I'm I'm really excited by contradictions and juxtapositions.
0: Well the next I guess the next of those is, is colour and and uh, and light. Yeah, um, yeah. because the the subjects demand quite a range of, of colour palette. Yes, so, so how how yeah. do you manage that? Like is has, has that been tricky to learn or
1: Well I think you get better at, at mixing colours, for mm. sure. Um, but I do use a lot of the the, the wonderful uh, what we what we call neutrals like um, umbers and siennas, and they neutralise everything because they are you know those blues and yellows that are coming out of the tube are pretty bright, mm. and if you don't tame those, they can just look horribly artificial.
0: Which, yeah. by the way, uh, coming out of the tube, what paints do
1: you use? Um, I use um, Winsor Newton yep. or. Mostly, and yeah. And have
0: developed a preference for.
1: Yeah, I use... Actually, uh, no, that's not true. I did use a lot of those, uh, but now I use mostly Schmink, I think yeah. I'd say. Yeah. Mostly, but a normal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And then, so, so balancing, you know, light on a canvas and with, and with colour, like, how tricky is that process? It's
1: that's tricky. That's, I'm not going to lie. Light and colour are really hard. Probably colour's the hardest thing to get right.
0: It feels, it feels like... Um, yeah, there is this really good tricky use of dark colour, like appears foundational, yep. um, to apply that contrast that you were talking about before. Yes, and then building yes. you know lighter colours on top of. Definitely,
1: that? definitely, and also building all those neutrals like the siennas into it, um, really neutralising everything, um, pulls back the intensity and makes it easier to build up the shadows or to pull light out of. After that, yeah, I think if you go in with saturated colours right from the beginning much, much harder to get that variation because it's just so hard to push down and yeah. heavily a heavily saturated colour. Yeah.
0: And, and then the tools that you're using, so you've already mentioned like palette knife and and quite again if I turn around in the studio, we'll use like oh, kind of medium-sized brushes. Yeah, these?
1: I've got some pretty big ones that i use also for my washes, Yeah. but mostly um I mean I, I have this this brush, <laughs> you see, all of, they're all the same kind out there, but I definitely prefer like a flat brush um to make those beautiful big flat square shapes. Um, and then, sort of, a, a, a size here that's like a 10 or 12, so it's quite a big brush. I very, very rarely pull in little brushes, only for the smaller paintings.
0: So, it's a brushes palette knife, just th- those are the two main tools?
1: Those are the two main tools, yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: You're, you're still presumably confronted with problems, you know, even though there is a some very careful architecture yes. that goes on yes. in a work.
1: You build up a work in a certain kind of way that you know is going to work. You know, that's your formula or your method, absolutely. So, and it's vital yeah. to have that. that. That
0: is something you feel like you've developed over the last few years. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. I think it'd be very hard if you didn't have that. Mm. We talk about. I remember talking about that at Elon Actually, knowing your method or your practice. How do you How do you construct a painting from A to Z? And once you know how to do that, you know, sure you push and pull it, and you always want to experiment and push yourself um, so that you can grow or your ideas can grow because you're always pulling at threads, taking different, you know, t- taking a, um, a, a little walk down a thread, and it may or may not lead to a dead end. But that's part of the process of. Growing but within the realms of that growth and that pushing boundaries you need to, if you're a you know a professional artist and you've got deadlines to hit you also have to have um, a, a, a method that you know or practice that you know works you got to keep coming up with the goods yeah and and uh,
0: I suppose that goes to another question of like sub like choosing subjects so so how do you choose subjects
1: well obviously when you're with a gallery and you have um, people that want to buy your work, they they have an expectation of what you're going to deliver, and the gallery expects you to deliver um, work that they know that they cannot that they can sell to these people that are expecting it. So you have you have boundaries and limitations as to what you. So, have so,
0: you, to, so you're quite at the least cognizant of those, yeah, boundaries as you say, yeah. in the context of what you're yeah. going to work
1: on. I, I am. Um, I think it's like knowing what your bread and butter is and knowing what, you know, what you're good at and knowing what people know you for and knowing what, you it's about knowing what you're good at. You know, you're always gonna sell more of what you're good at because it's good, right? (laughs) Whereas the experimentation stuff, you may or may not hit a winner. Um, And I think those are, sometimes they become the pieces for, though I haven't had a lot of time for it, but those might be the pieces that you might put into um, awards. They can be a little bit different or out of the box. They, it doesn't matter if they fit within your portfolio of work that you give to your gallery.
0: Yes, your so, so that probably begs the question. Like you, you moved from Auckland down to Wanaka three years ago? hmm Yeah, so That's three right. years in Wanaka now. Yes. How how has that changed approach or subjects?
1: It uh, hasn't, hasn't really changed my approach at all. I think I, the good thing was that I felt confident enough in what I was doing. Um, I felt like I had a subject that I was really really passionate about and that I could keep pushing and pulling in a lot of different ways to keep me occupied for a long time. Um, so I could could work in a completely new place, some several new places while I've been here, without deviating from what felt good and what felt you know sort of safe and concrete and all those sorts of things but at the same time you can't help but look out the window especially as I'm a gardener and I'm planting the garden thinking about the garden you can't help but think what's surviving down here it's, it's different to you know what's in Auckland how do I acknowledge that in a way that I can fit it in without being completely ambiguous with um, with what I'm already painting. So inevitably lupins and hydrangeas. Uh, lupins it, to it, yeah. And to um, Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, what was the other one? You know, the oxide daisies that are just growing all on the side of the road. Uh, yeah, and I started filtering some of those into the last show. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah,
0: because, because a keen gardener as well. So, you know, walking around the property before we sat down in the studio, um, yeah. it, it looks like you're busy, you know, growing future subjects. Like, yes. it looks like it's going to be quite a wild yeah. garden. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, very well. absolutely. Um, it's quite funny because um I was just talking to a friend a little while, just before Christmas, another painter, and she was actually at Elam with me, a really good friend from Elam. And there was this course that was that, that was run um, at Elam. it wasn't we didn't have to do it. it was just a course that they put on, you could, could it was called I think it was run by some Dutch actually, which is really interesting with gardening, the movement that of you know painting that I the planting that I like to do, that wild naturalistic planting. Hmm. it was called um Paint before you Plant." And I actually, yeah, paint before you plant. And I think that actually that's what I have subconsciously been doing like for the last three years, right? I've been painting, and now I'm actually finally planting the garden that I've been painting Ruinous. for the last three years.
0: Coming together. <laughs> so
1: funny, yeah. yeah.
0: How do you manage time in the studio? You know, do, do your approach kind of nine to five work, whenever do you feel like it? No, no, I wish. And, and and how <laughs> no, do you start, you know start no, the day? No, no, no.
1: Constraints of the family and um, you know home life and those sorts of things. It's very much managed like a job. Um, so once the kids have gone to school, it's straight into the studio. And I'm pretty, i I've, I'm pretty religious about um, about that. About it being, you know, people say let's go for coffee. Sorry, I'm working today. It's a I'm I'm pretty. Uh, yeah, religious really about turning up in the studio and working until the day is done. Um, I think it's because I have what I think of as so little time because I have to finish when the school day finishes at three. Um, I don't work evenings. I don't work weekends just because I want to be around for the family. Um,
0: you don't work evenings because the like daylight. Because again, we're no, t- sitting in your studio space, which is you know purpose purpose built, um, beautiful studio, um, ton of light pouring in. Yeah,
1: no, I definitely could.
0: You, you <laughs> and definitely I, could work uh, at night.
1: No, I could. I could. I could if I could put it that way. <laughs> I could work because the environment is totally fine to work at night. But I I couldn't because my husband travels a yeah, lot with work and yeah. works at night and, and practicalities. Just, yeah while well, well, the kids are still at an age that you've know, yeah. got to be around it's um you've got to make it work yeah so really a, a nine, to,
0: 9 to 3 9 to
1: 3 as it were yeah right. some school holiday some not and saying it though um when you've got a show and their work needs to be done it's got to get done so mm-hmm. there are times when I, I just do pull really 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 big hours and my husband just knows it's Sorry. <laughs> Which seems oh, like it's gone. been a, wow. a,
0: a great problem for you to have because you know, you're, you're really only, I appreciate there's obviously you know, quite a lot of study in the, in the background, but in terms of returning to New Zealand and establishing a, you know, a painting career, yes. you are four years into that?
1: Um, yeah, so I graduated from, oh sorry, uh, I think think actually about when, the, I think um, I've been with Sanderson for three years. Yeah, and then maybe sort of like a couple of years before that. Yeah, so for about five years. So you must feel like it really
0: landed on your feet in terms of, you know, where the practices ended up in New Zealand.
1: Absolutely. You know, to- totally, like, when you think about arriving back somewhere where you... I mean, I, I had I didn't know the thing about the art world in New Zealand when I moved back. I hadn't lived in New Zealand for a really long time. I didn't know the galleries. I didn't know any artists. Um, I didn't know how to go about getting my work out there. I I, I really... But a lot about going back to do my masters in New Zealand was about getting in contact with the art world. How am I going to make this work here?
0: Well, that was going to be a question then. So, so what was that process? So that started that. You know.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I think the thing was that in the US, I had, um, I had become successful, and I was starting to sell my work. Even though I was still studying, I was starting to sell my work. I was putting on shows, and you know, and work was selling. So I thought I can do this. I can make. I could make a career as an artist. So I arrived in New Zealand thinking, I know I can do it over there. How can I make that happen here? And it got through Elam and obviously I wasn't gonna, I realized that it wasn't, <laughs> it was kind of a funny sort of a situation because I got through Elam and with my masters, but what I was making wasn't gonna be selling. was, as I said, it was collage. It wasn't gonna be selling in any galleries. So I guess it took me quite a long time to figure out what, what well I was going to paint. Like, uh-huh. I, I knew about this flower, but I didn't really know... I'd never painted the flower before. I didn't know how I was going to paint the flower. I didn't know if it was going to be still alive or... So there was a, it was, it was a period of... Pretty painful period, to be honest, of about six to eight months. Between was, um, the end of your MFA. Between the end of MFA and, and starting to actually get a groove going on with the subject matter. And I did try lots of things. I tried portraiture. I tried uh, some more landscapy stuff, which is what i have been doing in the US a lot more. Um, and I started reading a huge amount about... Uh, creative practice and about um well I'd, I'd become a huge reader from my um, thesis and I remember reading one thing about about creative practice and it was like show up show up show up and finally the muse will too and I think that's when um I'm so glad that I had quite a rigorous work ethic and um you know that I still was going to the studio every day just making stuff and thinking it will click I had faith in myself I knew I could paint I knew I could sell work, I just had to be really find that thing that made me feel good and confident and excited. How could I carry all that energy that I came out of elan with and repackage it up into something that was exciting and um, hopefully other people would like as well. So it sounds like the if advice. there
0: was any, any advice it would be just keep going.
1: Absolutely, just show up, yeah. just keep trying, keep trying. and. Um, I don't know if it, I don't think it was in my mind that okay I plant flowers and I know flowers sell. I don't think it was like that at all. It mm. was just more like I'm um, I just love doing this. This feels good, this feels exciting, it feels like it's a it's a trajectory that I could keep tapping into for a long time in terms of um in terms of um you reading and uh, experimenting and thinking and playing and teasing out ideas. You know, it's a, it's a good, it's a really gritty subject matter, and you need that. You know, with the practice, you need a really good subject matter that you can keep chewing on. Yeah, because it doesn't feel like you're going to run out no.
0: of paintings anytime soon. Absolutely time. not. And
1: that's why I think that's probably in a way why I do keep playing with um, every now and again I'll pull into this um pull back into the still life just because it's something new to um, to chew on. You know, that's. Those are what base layers of a material called flash.
0: Just for, just for context for listeners, we're looking at a, a couple of paintings on the studio wall that uh, flowers in vases in interior, which, um, uh, as I say, does seem like a departure from the last three or four years of painting, mm-hmm. at least. Right. So, so that is a new way for you to be able to explore an idea. Mm-hmm.
1: And then, when the first show that I did in New Zealand after Elam, um, it was it probably had a um, it had a combination of everything that I had been playing. Once it had abstract. Um, it had uh, the still life, and then it had some a few flowers that were starting to appear in, the, in their own environments. Um, and I just I think at the end of that show, I could really ruminate on what I enjoy painting the most, what I feel like uh, resonated with me and with buyers and what I felt could give me the most continuity as a subject matter. And that's when the, the flower in this space, in the wild garden space. One I guess of the, those three, but um, I like to to keep alive the other ideas because I think you've got to keep that discomfort of um, something else over there.
0: So, which is which is one of these still lives for perhaps want a better phrase have returned.
1: Yeah, it's, I had a I had a bit of a breather and I was thinking about my show for next year and thinking how how's it going to go? What's going to look like? Could I could I come up with a show that was that different um, or should I just keep tinkering a little bit but it's like uh, I guess it's like scales on the piano you know you've got to keep doing those exercises you've got to keep experimenting and um With those initial ideas that you have, how do they how do they work? They're still looking uh, looking
0: pretty bloody good. You're not not suggesting they're not going to be in a show. They're not going to be in a show.
1: No. Oh, (laughs) not anytime soon.
0: Ah, they are experiments only.
1: They are totally experiments only. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and I think um, I'm very lucky um, in that I have the confidence now to create paintings and not worry about failures. There's a time when you are desperately scared to. Stop a painting and waste you've got a it. You paint. totally waste painting, waste all that time, waste all that paint. Whereas now I'm I'm okay to um rip a, I yeah, rip a painting off a stretch bars and just say, Didn't It was a learning curve. Absolutely. Yeah. Well that's an experiment, it's gonna go no further. And I can do twenty of those now and it's okay. I will keep growing as an artist if I keep doing that and yeah. allow myself to keep doing that. Mm. But when you're starting out, that's a really, really hard thing to do. Even though it's what you should be doing, it's a really hard thing to do. Mm. Mm.
0: Final question, I, I think, mm-hmm. as, um, as I'm asking everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there was you know, no limits of uh, you know, budget, scale, et cetera, mm-hmm. what what artist or work mm-hmm. would, um, would you love to live with?
1: It would have to be a work that I knew and an artist that I knew, because I, like like we had that conversation earlier about getting to know a painting and Mm -hmm. I think I need to know, I need to understand about the practice and about the art making and why the person makes that art, I think, to really get the most out of it. So while I would love to say someone like Matisse (laughs) or, um, Uh, it would actually be a contemporary of mine whose work i really admire and so the easiest way to see contemporaries paintings is on instagram um and i follow a few australian artists um, and there's one particular one I really, really enjoy his work it's, um Guido Miserati he's Australian and I was so excited because at Art Fair this year I got to see his work for the first time they were and extraordinary they was absolutely extraordinary it was even better than what I thought it was going to be and if I had 35 grand I would have dropped it immediately on one of those paintings <laughs> I mean they are everything about what I love about painting has fearlessness with colour has fearlessness with art with paint strokes brushwork uh, energy um the size, the scale of the work, absolutely, absolutely love it. And yeah. and I was only that fair for two days last year, but I, you know, spent probably a very disproportionate amount of time on that stand looking at his work, <laughs> to be honest. So yeah, that's uh, that's Brilliant. my that's my pick.
0: As always, thanks for listening to The Good Oil. To find out about available works and Catherine's next exhibition, Inquire with Sanderson Gallery in Auckland. I'd really appreciate it if you would rate, review, and share the podcast. That all helps other people discover the show. If you are in or visiting Todonga, I wanted to highlight that episode 4 guest Hidia Anderson Meta has an exhibition at the Todonga Art Gallery until the 9th of July. Please join me for episode 7 of The Good Oil. Until then, kakite ano.